Welcome back. I'm Alan Weiss, and here's some real uncomfortable truth. You know, by the time I'm recording this, which um, is the day or two after, day after the Kavanaugh confirmation in the, in the Senate, uh, you're not going to be hearing this probably for another month or two, and I did that deliberately so things can calm down a bit. You know, we are based on English common law in the United States, with the exception of Louisiana, uh, which is based on French law. But uh, all the rest of us, English common law, which proves, provides, and maintains that you're innocent until proved guilty. And guilty until proved innocent is the mantra in this country. We've often said it's better for three guilty people to go free than for one innocent person to go to jail. We've held that as sacrosanct. We've created the Miranda warnings for people so they know they're entitled to a lawyer and what they say can be held against them. We give them cautions to protect them. If you ever want to read a stupendous book about how the Miranda warning came into being, read a book called Gideon's Trumpet. You'll find it somewhere on the internet. I read it as a freshman in Rutgers as a political science major. It's a brief book about Miranda. We have police body cameras today. We have police review boards. It still ain't perfect. There are still problems with unequal law enforcement, but we are trying. And the fact has always been, you've got to prove something. Now, I realize with Kavanaugh, we're not in a court of law. But still, we need to be able to substantiate things. You know, TSA in the airports reverses this. TSA provides, launches, creates intrusive searches into our person to prove that we're innocent and not terrorists. I resent it. I don't like it. I think anybody who does like being patted down and put in machines and having their luggage open for strangers to go through should resent it. We justify it on the basis that there's a greater harm here in an airliner coming down. The real greater harm, of course, is in the delivery trucks and the gasoline tankers and all of the vehicles operating in the airport, not in people getting on the plane. But okay, so be it. We put up with it. We've gotten used to it. You know, when I was in the third grade, the principal walked into the room with a, a first grader, just walked into the third grade classroom, stopped the teacher in her tracks, pulled me out of class because the first grader claimed I had hit him over the weekend. The accusation alone was sufficient for the authority here, the principal. I had to prove my innocence. My word against his. Of course, the hell business was it of his, what I did over the weekend? And after this, the kids deserve to be pummeled, but that's for a different teleconference. <laughs> that's for a different podcast. Some accusations are non-malicious. We have different memories of the same events. We have different interpretations of the same events. I believe it's Rashomon, the Japanese film, that looks at a common occurrence from the standpoint of three different people. And this is not unusual. Law schools uh, in freshman year often have a, a situation where someone runs into the classroom and steals a computer and runs out, and the class can't even describe the gender correctly, let alone what they were wearing and whether they took it or stole it or were given it or whatever. Those are non-malicious, but some accusations are malicious and biased. Look at the case of Alfred Dreyfus. 
1894, Captain Dreyfus in the French army was convicted of treason and sentenced to five years in jail. The famous Jacuz. The real problem here wasn't treason. He was later proved innocent. It was anti-Semitism. Captain in the French army who was Jewish. They wanted him out. They found the real culprit, by the way. They found the person who was treasonous and releasing information. And they quickly exonerated him in order to keep Dreyfus in jail. No less than Emil Zola reopened the case through his public outcry, through his writings. And although he was convicted still again by the anti-Semites, he was pardoned, that is, Dreyfus, and he resumed his commission and served with distinction through World War I. He died in 1933. But all that jail time, all that damage to his reputation, was on accusations that were malicious and caused by something else. In the Salem witch trials, we killed people just by saying they were a witch. If someone with authority, if someone with respect, if someone in the hierarchy said someone was a witch, tough, they were a witch. Or if someone said they saw them do something, have a tree fall down with, by pointing their finger, raise a teacup, levitate it by pointing their finger, they were a witch. The Inquisition was the same way. The auto de fe's of the Christian Inquisitions where somebody were accused to be infidels or non-believers, burned at the stake. Nazism. If you were claimed to have Jewish blood, you had Jewish blood, you were sent to the ovens. Interestingly enough, Goebbels, the propaganda guy, had Jewish blood way in his background. And Goring, Hitler's number two in command, was probably gay and, a, and definitely a cross-dresser. When people make, make accusations, they always exempt themselves. They're always safe. But the accusations were sufficient to kill millions. The accusers themselves, often impure. Look at McCarthy, the House Un-American Activities Committee. He had sheets of paper in his hand with 50 communists in the government, except the sheets had nothing of the kind on them. But if he accused you, if he pointed a finger, you had to defend yourself. There was a Hollywood blacklist People who could never work again, writers and directors and actors, because they were accused of being members of the Communist Party. Herbert Hoover, the great enforcer, was definitely gay. And his top lieutenant was his partner. And yet he prosecuted homosexuals. I walked out of a speech once, and a woman came up to me and said, you are remarkably gender neutral for a speaker. And I said, what does that mean? And she said, I was listening to your pronouns and you use both male and female pronouns equally. I said, well, thank you. A few minutes later, walking down the hall, another woman walked up to me and said, you need to work on the way you handle women. I said, what do you mean? And she said, I was watching you and listening. You didn't take as many questions from women as you did from men and your answers to women were shorter than those you gave to men. Now that first woman doesn't make me a gender champion, and the second doesn't make me a gender devil. The first woman was a pronoun counter, and the second woman was a question counter. Jacuz, they had agendas, and they were going to accuse me of opposite things in the same speech. Why? Because it mattered what went through their filters and not what was reality. An accusation is not a fact. It should be heard. It needs to be heard. 
but it doesn't have to be automatically believed. Someone tried to tell me the other day that sworn testimony is fact. Sworn testimony is simply testimony under oath, but you don't know that that's fact. A lot of people lie under oath. That's why perjury is a crime, and that's why perjury is often prosecuted. We increasingly live in a world where we're expected to defend ourselves, exonerate ourselves, prove our innocence. This is the nature of the world today. I recall Billy Joel's great song, I am an innocent man. Me too, Billy. And so was Dreyfus. And the founding fathers must be spinning in their graves. And that's the uncomfortable truth. <laughs>